0: Yes, hello. Welcome back to the Lars Resort. A podcast brought to you by Betson. With me, Lars Stevenson. How's your summer going? My summer's going okay. I'm, I'm kind of... I'm still... I'm still working away on stuff I can't quite tell you about. But we'll, we'll get there pretty soon, I think. Um, really enjoyed those pods with uh, Peter Welpton uh, coming on board, helping me go through last season. I'm happy to say... Feedback from you guys have been pretty positive on that as well. It's actually been all positive. We've had no people saying, Peter, go away, don't come back. No one has said that, thankfully. Because that would be a foolish thing to say, because Peter's great. I think my plan is to ask him back on the pod for when we're doing pre- uh, view stuff, when we're doing the opposite, when I'm making my terrible predictions and trying to make sense of the season ahead, which, ho oh boy! Looking at the teams and how things are shaping up, that's gonna be very difficult. Uh, <laughs> if predictions were bad last year, I think they might be even worse this year. I probably shouldn't tell you that, but I have very little confidence at this point that I can predict anything. Uh, so many things up in the air. Uh, but that's exciting at least going into the season. I think that's where we want to be going into the season. We are at the stage now where teams are back they're having their preseason you know friendlies are being played and this I feel like is a time of year where you kind of have to I certainly have decided that for myself. I kind of resist the urge of watching preseason friendlies because there is part of you that's excited obviously the team i support but also just all the other teams see ooh, that's a new player in there let's see maybe there's a new coach here let's see how they're doing things but it's just if, if you watch the preseason friendlies you always get sucked into this if there's a player who does really well in the friendlies you think ooh, he's gonna be really good and if there's someone who doesn't look good in the friendlies you think ooh, he must be very bad and because you know because the games don't really matter because it's all about fitness and stuff these impressions always turn out, I mean, at least very often, turn out to be nonsense. I find watching preseason friendlies too closely is a a route to madness at this time of year, and a route to some really bad uh, premature conclusions. I guess tactical stuff you can probably keep an eye on, like if a team plays a couple of preseason friendlies and has a very specific tactical setup, they're probably not going to change that completely before the season uh, but, but I prefer to sit back and not pay too much attention to it, frankly, uh, at at this time of year. One thing I did see, well, I didn't see it live because I was asleep, but I saw the, the video clips today, was the sort of the skill challenges <laughs> to do with the MLS All-Star games. Uh, Arsenal and the MLS All-Stars competing in various things. And you know what? I thought some of these things were really cool. And I think this is where, I mean, obviously we lambasted uh, crazy Todd Bowley for his sort of nonsensical All Star Game uh, suggestion, because I do think that just kind of fundamentally, I, I don't think a North v South Premier League All Star Game would work for anyone. Like I don't think I don't think the players want it. Uh, I don't like who would it be for? Like how many Arsenal fans would be flocking to to Wembley or somewhere to watch Harry Kane take on the Northerners? Like what? Like, I, I, I think it just kind of misunderstands the sort of tribal nature of the. Like, I, I can't see that being any good, but. Watching them do like this, guild like the goalie wars and the volleys they were doing and the touch challenge, I was like, you know what? That kind of stuff. I think I'd pay to go see that if that was on in London. If there was some kind of uh, Premier League all-star meetup where the yeah Allison versus Ederson in goalie wars. Come on, you'd you'd watch that. I I would. Uh, so maybe instead of having a game which would just produce bad football because there'd be no team cohesion at all and you'd have 22 players who don't want to be there. And, and, and don't want to you know expend extra energy their coaches definitely don't want to be there uh, they'll don't want them to be there I think that would just be a mess. But you could have the sort of yeah goalie wars and the volleys and the things you can think of various things. And then maybe you could have some 5 side things or, you know, like the cage in that old Nike advert. I mean, something like that. You have it at the O2 center instead of the Wembley, you know, something. I mean, th- there could be something there uh, for the Premier League to, to take up on. Because I did quite enjoy watching those things. What I've not enjoyed as much is the sort of. Um, that non, like it, Kai Havertz getting uh, getting bullied basically for for not scoring a lot of volleys by uh, by all the usual suspects on on Twitter and some of them are less reputable outlets. I mean, I see a lot less reporting about Kai Havertz winning one of the other challenges. I guess that's not quite as, as fun a story. I mean, that, that might be a downside of this sort of skills challenge. There's, there's too many idiots out there who kind of want to pounce and, uh, and, and make fun of players for something that's actually just a bit of fun or It's just meant to be a bit of fun. Anyway, we move on. And I think Arsenal chat today, guys. I think Arsenal, because if we're going to have a chat about transfers, I've mentioned him already, Kai Havertz. Arsenal have been doing things. Arsenal are probably the most kind of interesting team on the transfer market in the Premier League so far. I think you have to say that, not just in terms of money spent, but you know, players coming in, interesting stuff happening. And I think it's smart uh, for Arsenal to actually go big in this window. I'm usually on sort of spending lots of money doesn't always solve all your problems uh, all this talk about winning the transfer window is a bit dumb And the, usually I'm in that camp of things but I think this is a good time for Arsenal to, to kick on they're coming off a brilliant season you know, let's not forget, like before this season Arsenal had finished like 5th or lower for 5 straight seasons and then this season it all kind of comes together you have a group of young players who do really well they all take big steps in the right direction we've, we've had this conversation before, brilliant season and instead of sort of sitting back and going, Aha! We're back! The team is great! They've kind of seized the moment and, and used this momentum, pounced on this momentum to bring in some, some players, you know, con- convince the people upstairs that it's a good time to spend, to release the funds, convince the players that Arsenal are a good place to go. I think this is completely the right way to, to approach it uh, by Arsenal. And, and, and let's not forget, before the World Cup, Arsenal had the best defence in the league. After the World Cup, they had the ninth best defense in the league, according to the XG against, at least. And actually, according to Understat, they only had like the sixth best attack in the league after the World Cup as well. So the stats for that second half of last season. Bit stinky, not great. Uh, I'm still cross with myself for not spotting that trend uh, and 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 sort of uh, and calling it in favor of Arsenal at a very early stage. It's the biggest sort of uh, mistake I made, I think, from a sort of analytical perspective all all of last year. Uh, But yeah, uh, underlying numbers, second half of the season, not good. So completely, the right thing to do then is to look at the team and just go big and upgrade and and be serious instead of sitting back and thinking, you know, we're probably great. and, and, and so so Arsenal, the gunners have reloaded their cannon with timber and rice. Mm-hmm. Which is, I don't know. can you actually can you fire rice out of a cannon? I think probably not. It just kind of disperse. Timber, I think you can fire out of a cannon, but I think it would be sort of ballistically unsound. I don't think timber uh, flies very straight if uh, launched from a cannon. Maybe if you put the ba- the rice in a bag, a bag of rice, could be shot out of a cannon. I don't know. But appropriately for a team doing a mini rebuild, they have uh, procured some timber. Uh, so let's look at Jurian Timber first. And you know what I'm going to do? This is lazy. It's lazy. It's either lazy podcasting or it's sustainable podcasting. Mm, it's green. I'm, I'm recycling old material. Because what I would typically do now is say, hey, go back to episode blah de blah when we had Tor Christian Carlson here to chat about uh, Jurian Timber and a lot of other good players. But you know what? I've been doing this podcast for for a while or I had a Norwegian one first and then it became the Lars Resort. And I have found when I do this, when I say, hey, go back to episode this and that and check it out. You know, I have access to the numbers. You guys don't do it. <laughs> Nobody does. So it's like, so, so, so instead of saying, go back and listen to that, through the magic of editing... Uh I, I'm gonna insert bits of that podcast here. I'm gonna recycle old material. It's very it's carbon neutral podding. Uh let's bring it on. Hairstow Christian Carlson uh, and a bits of myself, I guess. Uh, about Jurian Timber at 13. Uh Jurian Timber of, of Ajax, a center half, who's been linked with pretty much everywhere, everyone, but he is still at Ajax. And he he makes it as high as thirteenth on the
1: list. Um he was up there last season as well. Um most people might have expected that he'd he'd left in that kind of exodus that happened last summer. I think five or six of their top names um, set sail for 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 pretty big clubs around the the continent and the islands but yeah he's still there he's doing pretty much what he has been doing over the past two or three years since he's since he um, became a regular. Some people might have expected that. Ten Hag would have taken him to uh, Manchester United, maybe even instead of Lisandro Martinez. But um, Ten Hag tends to know what he's doing, so mm. I don't know if it was the left foot or Martinez, what that was the decisive factor. But still, Lars, it's you know pretty much all that you want from a, from a modern centre back: the pace, the 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 composure on the ball, um, the mentality um an ability to play play forward passes from the back without too much of a you know detrimental risk factor
0: but i would maybe ask you this again this is a challenge of judging these things that's always going to be an issue but for players from leagues like this but how confident are you that he can play as a defender, as a center half in a more demanding league, because it's not the hardest gig in Hollywood to be the ball playing center half for Ajax.
1: <laughs> well, we we had the same conversation um, earlier regarding Gravenberg. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and he the... has to fend for himself. He has to be released from captivity. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. You know, find his own food. You know, all this sort of stuff. Can he do it?
1: But the adaptability of Ajax players uh, when they move on, I tend to think that it is a little bit easier for centre backs. Um, they always got the the game in front of them. Um, they're not necessarily as much as he's a he's a kind of a strategic ball playing centre back. He's not the the main playmaker or the you know somebody who glues the the team together. Which Gravenberg is, and that's why I think maybe for central midfielders it gets a bit more. You're a bit more tied to the Ajax way of doing things. But what what makes me quite optimistic about um, Timbers' prospects would be the one against one defending, which is excellent. So it's not just a matter of organization or having, you know, the support of a Particularly good centre back next to which he had last year with M- Martinez. But his um, the the only caveat here is obviously his height. That's why I'm pointing out mm. that perhaps ideally you'd like to see him uh, playing as a right um, right sided centre back in a back three or even a right back. And I know that there's this endless debate about players that aren't six six foot or there or thereabouts aren't able to head the ball, which is That is probably um, still that discussion is never gonna is never gonna leave. But um, his heading game is his aerial game is not particularly great. Um, And Mm. I think I pointed out in the piece as well that he has a 55 win rate in the air. Although that might not be his obvious duties. So Mm. when you play in a pairing or you play in a in a back four with a more physical centre back, taller one next to you, that might be the player who goes for the aerial jewels with more, Mm. with a higher frequency. So those numbers might also be so, a slightly, um, you know, twisted picture, but, 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 but still it, it is an issue, but I still think if you just look at the, the characteristics and the qualities of the player, I, I believe he belongs at the top end. And I would be surprised if, um, somebody wouldn't make a pretty lucrative offer for him in the summer already last
0: yes wasn't that interesting uh i think it was i don't remember what we said uh but because it's a while ago and i haven't edited it in yet but uh, as i recall uh, to Christian, is pretty high on Jurian Timber. He, he likes him. You know, he's a quick defender, not the best in the air, but he's very good on on the ground. Obviously, as you expect from an Ix defender, is very classy on the ball, very good uh, passer of the ball, and based on that sort of profile, I think he fits in. I mean, intriguingly, he fits in in a couple of positions uh, for Arsenal. You you could stick him at centre back. I'm sure. Especially, I think with, with with Gabriel next to him, but both Gabriel and Saliba w- would be would be fine next to, next to him. But but the height thing does, of course, give you a little bit of pause. Um, it's not necessary. Also, it's not even that he's not very tall. You can have slightly shorter players who are very good in the air. But as to Christian explains, his stats are, suggest his aerial game is is not not amazing. So maybe what you want to do. I mean, he has played right back. And he does have the skill set to play in midfield as well. So I think he gives Arteta some really interesting options here. Like, if, for instance, they want to play with a back four out of possession, you can put him at right back, but then you have Zinchenko on the left back moving into midfield when you have possession, and he sort of slides in and becomes a third centre-back, if you understand, like, if if you te- if you catch my drift you know very similar to what city city've been doing i mean i guess ben white was kind of doing that but ben white was getting forward a lot as well uh, but he's certainly an option in in, in that sort of role uh, i think you could you could maybe do it differently and just play him as a kind of john stones character and have him be the guy who goes into midfield i think he has the skill set to, to to play in that kind of role uh, you could just play him as a straight up midfielder maybe that that could be tried or maybe it turns out he's strong enough in the challenge to play as a center half in the premier league after all um after all when because you know at the end of the day it's not like the premier league is a league where every single opponent has like a giant six foot five target man with sharp elbows who will sort of you know who'll thump your defenders from morning to, to sundown that just isn't really the kind of league it is anymore. And the fact that uh, Timber is quick on the turn, good in sort of ground duels, I'm, I'm sure he'd be completely fine as a centre-half. But the point is, he's he's clearly a very, very quality player. There's always going to be the question when someone moves from I X to a big club, to a bigger league, whether they can make that transition. But I think you offer some really interesting tactical options for Arsenal in, 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 in several positions. And that is something that has been a key word for Mikel Arteta, which is versatility to give himself uh, options uh, tactically and to cover for injuries and all this sort of stuff. So definitely a guy who is a, is a, is a reinforcement to that squad. I think next up, Declan Rice. Uh, which I, I, I do, I like this signing a lot. Uh, it's a big transfer fee, we'll get to that. But with Declan Rice, this is much more simple. Uh, you have a guy who's, who's proven that he can play at a very, very high level in the Premier League at a fairly young age, uh, who's been like a leading uh, player for a uh, West Ham team that, you know, not good this year, but has been getting good results in the league in, in, in recent years. And if you look at Arsenal and the, how they played last season, I think that there are two positions in the field, not just one, but two positions where Declan Rice can can go in and be an upgrade on what they had already. I think he'd be an upgrade on Thomas Partey as the sort of deepest, the whole number six midfielder. Uh, and I think... He, Declan Rice, seems to want to be more of a number eight, wants to get forward a bit more, so you can totally see him uh, take Xhaka's place as sort of that more box-to-box type of player who wants to get forward, wants to get into the box, but also has a big physical presence and wins the ball quite a lot in, in midfield. Both of those positions, if, they, if we assume Arsenal play like they did last season... Both of those positions, I think, suit Declan Rice really well. Uh, he's a midfielder who can do a bit of everything. He's a very good ball winner. He's played centre half. Uh, he can carry the ball uh, forward. Not someone who dribbles a lot, but someone who can sort of move the ball upwards, running into space with it. His passing numbers, I think, I stand to be corrected by people who know more about like statistical analysis than I do. But I find his passing numbers almost completely useless for sort of analysis. Uh, here because of the differing styles i mean playing for Arsenal in midfield is such a different job than playing for West Ham and if there's any insecurity around this transfer and there's not a lot because you have a guy who's played numerous seasons in the Premier League he's played for England at you know in big games you know what you're getting with him but i guess the one thing is that his job at West Ham is very different like West Ham they sit back uh, they're quite deep when they get the ball they want to break forward quickly, so his job when getting the ball is either running with a forward often into space because you're counterattacking, which is why his sort of ball carrying numbers are good, he does that really well, or hitting, you know, quick passes forwards, and you know, so his passing numbers don't really... like. That's not going to be his job for Arsenal. They're much more patient in possession. Of course, they want to get forward, but they're also going to press high more, and, and it's not going to be counterattacks and set-pieces in the same way as it was for West Ham. So there might be a period of adaptation for him, I think, playing for a team that, that looks after the ball a little bit more than than West Ham did. Uh, but when it comes to that stuff, I feel like we're at a point with Michael Arteta and Edu that they've earned the benefit of the doubt and then some when it comes to making these decisions. I think Arsenal have, have done well in the transfer market the last few years. And, and this sort of where the statistical analysis falls short, because West Ham play in such a different way, I would trust Arteta's sort of technical understanding of the qualities that a midfielder needs to have to do what he wants him to do. I think Arteta knows that quite well and we have a huge sample size of, uh, of uh, Declan Rice doing his stuff in the Premier League. If Arteta is totally convinced that this is the guy for him, for his system, then I, I think it would be foolish to sit on the sideline and say, no, Arteta, you're wrong, because I think he knows what he's doing. And um, again... If we try to sort of think how Arsenal are going to play, whether they play with a sort of typical midfield with like a guy who sits, uh, someone who's more box to box, and then someone who's a number 10, he's a good upgrade for um, uh, for, for Party in as a number six. He's a good upgrade for Shaka also in the sort of box to box role. But it is, of course, also uh, possible that Arsenal is going to continue going in a direction of having. Uh, what I believe the intelligent people call a box midfield. So you have uh, one of the fullbacks, typically, or Stone sometimes is the centre-half, but one of the defenders stepping into midfield when you have possession and forming two sort of deep players, and then you have two attacking players further up the pitch, and then you have three centre-halves at the bottom. The wide players keep stay wide to give you width, and you have a striker up front. That sort of system, which is roughly what City do, it's kind of what Liverpool started doing with Trent Alexander-Arnold. If Arsenal are going to play like that, of course, uh, Rice is perfectly suited to be the sort of Rodri uh, character in in that system, Uh, absolutely. Could even, I mean, as I speculated when City got in on the act could feasibly be a player who starts up at at centre-half because he has played that when he was younger and then moves into midfield in possession. Don't think that's going to be first choice, but it's something I think he has the skill set to do. So again, with the versatility thing, he's a guy who gives Arsenal options in several roles on the field, it has shown at a fairly young age that he's a very, very good Premier League performer. Yes, the transfer fee is very, very high, but for an England international at his age, his profile—you know—that's that's just what the price is going to be. Now, now the argument I suppose you could make is that there are other good midfielders out there who could do a very very good job for Arsenal and who would not cost a hundred million. I mean, our friend Tor Christian, who you just heard from—I uh, I had a discussion with him about it on a on a I think it was on a Norwegian podcast uh, that he does, uh, where he raised he suggested you know if you have to pay that much for Rice, could just get Caicedo. For quite a bit less, who is also unbelievably good, which which I guess is a fair point. But Arteta clearly saw Rice as the guy he wants, and you can definitely see where he fits in. You can definitely see what he adds to the team. So it makes sense. If you have the money, might as well spend it, I guess. And it brings us to to Havertz on the subject of spending money. Kai Havertz for a significant transfer fee to, to Arsenal the most interesting of the three i think and i use the word interesting um well i use the word interesting too often really on the pod but but it is interesting is the word i'm going with because with Havertz, it's one or two things with him in england so far either a uh, he's a guy who was brilliant in the bundesliga hasn't quite made the step up to the premier league bundesliga attacks you know farmers league yada 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 or b He's a player who hasn't been used in the right role in Chelsea. Chelsea have been a mess, and this is actually a really, really talented guy who has much more to offer than what we have seen for Chelsea. It's either A or B, uh, I think. And just a couple of notes on him as a player. He looks a bit languid in the way he moves. He looks a bit casual, like his eyes are kind of half-closed some of the time. Looks like he's in danger of falling asleep, but... If you look at his defensive numbers, they're actually fine. Like he wins the ball quite a lot. It doesn't always look that way because of the way he moves, but but in terms of winning the ball back, he he does he does really well and has done really well for for Chelsea. And I do think when it comes to stuff off the ball and defensive work. Sometimes we're a little bit biased by style, you know. There are certain players who look like they're trying really hard, and they're very sweaty, and they pump their legs, and they have a running set that. And there are players who are just a little bit more casual in the way they move, and we tend to assume that they're doing less work off the ball. But sometimes, one of the areas where stats are good, sometimes that's not true. And Kai Havertz's sort of uh, numbers for reclaiming possession are, are perfectly respectable, um, and and on his position. At Leverkusen, he played 84 games as an attacking midfielder. He played uh, 18 in central midfield, 32 on the right, and 9 as a striker. Whereas at Chelsea, he's played 69 games as a striker, 54 as an attacking midfielder, 9 on the right. And and of those uh, 54 games he played as an attacking midfielder, the most he's played in a season is fifteen. So, in any competition, is fifteen. The most he's played in a Premier League season, I should say, is fifteen games, and and that was mostly in the first half and the first season uh, when he was just arrived in England. There were still COVID restrictions and stuff. Like everyone was kind of having a bad time. Uh, Frank Lampard was the coach. The team was kind of bad. Like th- that was the only time. While he's been in Chelsea, he's played 139 games for Chelsea. The only time we've seen play, seen him play consistently, in what was his best position in Germany, was that autumn uh, under Frank Lampard when the team was bad. Uh, so we, I think. Which is kind of weird, isn't it? When you spend as much as Chelsea spent on him. This is a guy who, when he moved to England, was wanted by pretty much everyone. Like, he was one of those players who all the scouts everywhere was like, this guy is amazing, we want to bring him to our club. Chelsea got him, in part... Because that was one of the summers where just everyone was freaking out because of the pandemic and income had gone to hell and no one had any money. And, and Chelsea were like, well, we have we have an oligarch. So, you know, it's, it's sad for you that your income has gone wrong, but we don't necessarily have to care about that. So they went out and they signed him and they spent money on some other people. So, and, and that's how he ended up in Chelsea, uh, which kind of hasn't worked out. So after all of this, it's possible that his confidence isn't in a great place after sort of a frustrating time at Chelsea. He's been moved around the team. he's had multiple managers, all this sort of stuff. I, I don't think that'll have been great for his development. It is possible that it just the step up in quality from the Bundesliga is a factor. But I would still say that here's a guy who's brilliant technically. Like, his, his touch is amazing. Uh, at Leverkusen, he scored 47 goals in 150 games, so roughly one in three, which is a good return for an attacking midfielder, I think. He's deceptively good off the ball. Like I said, defensively, he does put a shift in, even if he looks like he, yeah, he moves in a bit sort of casual way. He he wins the ball back a lot. And and at Leverkusen, he also put in a very decent number of assists as well. So there's a lot to be excited about here. There's a player who has, you know, a lot of capabilities. If Arteta can find a position where he can really thrive again, can put him into a system that works, I think there's a lot to come from this guy, I really do. And, of course, there's a risk. Uh, You have seen guys before who have moved from Germany to England and and kind of struggled to make that transition. You are kind of betting on... Arsenal are kind of betting on Arteta and Edu's judgment again here, first of all, Uh, but also on this idea that this is mostly Chelsea being a mess and all the changes in managers and him being moved around on the pitch Uh, and that at Arsenal in a system that's more settled in a role that suits him better at a coach who really understands him a bit more you will see the real Kai Havertz. And I think that's a risk worth taking. I I absolutely do. I think if you're someone who watched zero minutes of Kai Havertz at Leverkusen, you've only seen him at Chelsea, and then you look at the transfer fee Arsenal have paid, you think, what? Uh, That that doesn't quite make sense. I kind of understand why you reached that conclusion. But I would argue that he showed so much before that move to Chelsea, and there are so many mitigating factors about his time at Chelsea that, I think this is a punt worth taking for Arsenal, even if it's a bit of an expensive one. Like at, at Leverkusen, he looked like he could be like seriously world class, like Real Madrid, Barcelona, top clubs in the world type of level. Uh, that's where people thought he would end up, and he has scored the winning goal in a Champions League final for Chelsea, by the way. So it hasn't been a total disaster, and and maybe now coming to a manager who. Could have a better idea of how to get the best out of him i think that's exciting that's the kind of like footballing reclamation project that i get excited by uh i i find that like this is something you've probably noticed on the pod like players who are just really good i can kind of get bored of talking about sometimes because it's like they're good yep great now what do we say now <laughs> they're just very good and players who are bad who are just not good It's like, okay, how much fun is it to kick people when they're down? So I I feel like it's in the middle where the interesting chat is to be found and the interesting discourses and and theorizing uh, lies and and players who have shown that they can be brilliant who then lose their way somehow and vice versa, players who look terrible who are certainly good. Like this sort of stuff is much more interesting. And and Kai Havertz for me is is just a super interesting case of a guy who once showed just absolutely world-class potential, made a move that didn't fully work out We don't know exactly why it worked out. There are a number of possible reasons. And and I'm really intrigued to see what happens when you put him, hopefully, into a more settled team and with a different coach and this sort of thing. So if we're thinking here in midfield of Rice as the anchor possibly one of the fullbacks moving in to, to support him in a sort of a box midfield type of thing. And then Havertz in one attacking role and Martin go in the other sort of attacking role in a similar shape to the way the Man City midfield looks like in in possession. That seems that seems exciting to me. I I, I like that a lot. I think that could be a really, really good midfield for, for Arsenal this season. And like I said, uh I'm really curious to see how it works out. I think that's enough for that. Let's just have a nice breezy Breezy Arsenal transfer player chat thing uh, happening today. A uh, small sort of bet- betting part at the end. We will do like a season uh, preview and uh, season sort of betting ideas and stuff at some point. Uh, but let's just sort of put some ideas in your heads here about like where we're at with the prices of this. Like the, the I don't know if you guys have looked at this yet. Man City are very very big favourites to win the Premier League again. And I, and I think that makes sense. You know, they are losing Gundogan going, you know, maybe Morris leaves, you know, we're going to see some changes to that team. But no, listen, it's at this point, you'd be very brave to bet against them. Uh, uh, Arsenal are priced at six uh, as uh, the second favourite, Liverpool at nine, United at 12, uh, Chelsea at 13, Newcastle at 15, and then Spurs all the way down in 40. Uh, which is fair enough. I think, I think it's hard to argue against that. Um, Arsenal to be the top London club at 170? Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of think Chelsea are an interesting sort of outsider. I mean, we'll get to this. Chelsea, for me, are kind of, in some ways, where Arsenal were before last season, in the sense that they have a lot of young players who look really interesting, and if a few of them can get it together at the same time, they could end up doing better than, than expected. But there are still some question marks around that squad. I think Arsenal has the top line of the club. Are, are we thinking Tottenham or West Ham are finishing above Arsenal this season? No! We're not thinking that. I definitely not. So Arsenal as the top London club at 170. I think he's kind of an interesting price. I, I know people don't get super excited about putting a bet on and then at a price of 170 and then waiting a year almost uh, for, for the payout. This is maybe not the thing that gets the juices flowing the most. But I think 170 for for Arsenal to be the top London club. Is, is is not a terrible shout uh, at uh, at this point. I'm very intrigued when we get closer to the season and we start getting some player uh, bets you can make. How they price, maybe there's an over under on Kai Havertz goals or something that that could be an interesting one. I really, because I really do think there could be a Kai Havertz renaissance at, at Arsenal. The the Sons? does that work? Aside from that, Arsenal are priced at one sixty to finish in the top four which i think is kind of like i do we think they'll miss out on the champions league after the season they just have had with all the young players having gotten a year older having added rice timber i don't see them dropping out of the top 4 here now even if i mean i'd be surprised i'm going to say this now i would be surprised if they were able to challenge city and they were, were the way they were a second season in a row uh, assuming things don't go spectacularly wrong with city but they never seem to do. Uh, it's a big ask to do that again, uh, but for them to finish top four, I think is like I'd be pretty baffled if they dropped out of it. So I think both Arsenal, top London club at one seventy, and Arsenal to finish in the top four at one sixty, kind of interesting long term bets here. Uh, I I I'd be very very surprised if uh, if certainly the last one, but also the first one uh, don't come up. So that come up, so that might be might be worth thinking about uh, going in. To the next season Uh, thanks for the company as always Uh, more uh, pods coming I think with more sort of transfer guff. maybe some maybe some United I I see Onana might be might be happening they've already mounted up so to speak so maybe that's where we're going next uh, with uh, the last resort to look at how United are shaping up that that could be a thing Uh, maybe we'll talk about something else Uh, time will uh, tell Hope you are having a fabulous summer, everyone. Uh, See you soon.